0: Um, usually this time of year, the, the few things, winter comes, <laughs> it's like the Advent, we're starting to feel that, right? Um, I don't know about yours, but our furnace kicked on this weekend, um, and that's a good thing. Um, relatives usually come this time of year, right? And keep coming, and keep coming. <laughs> and sometimes you're ready for the opposite of Advent, maybe, right after a fine time. But the wonderful thing about Advent for us for this time of year, it reminds us. That's what these things do for us. As these months roll along, we have these times that we remember. Paul has been doing a great job talking about science and faith. The focus being on creation and origins. One of the things we believe is that not only was this place created, but it was visited. This is not just a created universe or planet. But we believe that it's a visited planet. It was not just left to itself. The Bible says that the word which existed in all its wonder and kind of mysterious light became flesh. That's an advent word. Kind of out of this kind of mysterious, unexplainable eternal existent came something that we can relate to god became flesh and he dwelt among us <laughs> like relatives he came to hang out with us to understand to be to show to feel like the song says ultimately then to to deliver us from things we didn't even know had us bound and so this advent kind of series that we're going to be stepping into talks about that, what it looks like for light to actually come and dispel darkness. And so we just really want you to do two things as you think about the coming of this Advent time. The first is to pray. Just ask God to, first of all, maybe speak to you in a unique way, to revisit you. Maybe revisit your situation, your challenge, your marriage, your financial situation. Maybe just revisit your questions. But just ask him to to speak. But also, we we want you to pray and ask God to to do something for someone else, too. There's a lot of people who, for whatever reason, during this time of year, they might actually kind of say, you know, I think I might check that place out or just there's something about my life that doesn't seem right and maybe maybe there's something related to this God thing that might we want you to pray for that person too that somehow in advent God would visit them God would visit your neighbor God would visit a relative somebody in a real way not to make them like you (laughs) but to remake them into something new finally what we want you to do is be here We'd love for you just to come. There are five Sundays in Advent, and we're going to add a a sixth Advent service, just because we think we can, and that's going to be Christmas Eve, okay? But for five Sundays, would you and your family commit to being here, just coming and being a part of what God is doing here? And maybe he'll visit you or revisit you in a new way this season, okay? So that's, that's kind of our request. And, and our desire and our hope for Advent. So let's just bow and maybe just acknowledge the Lord this morning and thank Him for, for being here today. Lord, thank you for really everything that happened that you did in so many ways to bring us to this place today. We know none of it's by accident, although at times it feels chaotic and unexplainable. We we really feel that you're behind these things and you care deeply about our lives. And so thank you for just bringing us here. And we ask that you would change us somehow that you make your way through the clutter, the concerns, the anxieties, the fretting whatever might happen to be in the way of your voice into our lives and just remove that so that you can speak. Thank you for coming, and um, we want to worship you and hear from you. In your son's name, amen. There may be a copy of uh, the scriptures right in front of you, uh, behind the pew. It's kind of light blue. If you don't have a copy, you can use that one. You can just listen along. That's for you to use during the service, but also to take with you if you don't have A copy of that. We're going to go to the New Testament book of James. It's all the way towards the end of the book. It's right after Hebrews. And we're in James chapter 2. Making our way through this letter. You know this person, James, this pastor was really concerned about a pretty important aspect of these people's lives to whom he wrote. It's this idea of faith. In fact at the very beginning of the letter he says, listen I want you to actually be joyful and consider it a really joyful thing when you're experiencing trials. Now that just kind of cuts against the grain of all of our experiences. Why in the world would I be joyful about hard times? It just it doesn't make sense. But if we hang in there with him, he starts to unpack that because what he says is in the midst of those hard times, when you're actually feeling like you're walking uphill or pushing everything uphill, it's in those times that your faith, your experience of God can become most compelling. That's when things come into clearer focus. We actually become a bit more attentive to what is most important in life when we feel like maybe the ground is shaken under us, right? When we're, when we're feeling the kind of the wind behind our back and you know, we're, we're in the black and not in the red, and everything seems to be going okay. We're less inclined, maybe, to rely on something outside of ourselves. That's what James is saying. You need to actually thank God in the press of living, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because it's in those moments that he can actually strengthen your faith and your confidence in him. That's what James is saying. In fact, that's what his whole letter is to these believers because these people were scattered all around the known world at the time because of persecution. This is so relevant today. We've got Christians and other religious kind of sects of people all around the Middle East right now who are scattered. They are refugees. That is their identity right now. And they are literally fearing for their lives because of their national identity and because of their faith in God. So this is compelling. This is relevant. And James is saying, particularly to those believers in Jesus, listen, this can actually work to strengthen your faith. You must be joyful in hard times. Anybody have a hard time being joyful in hard times? Of course. So we take that by faith too. Faith is the big message for James. He's pressing us. He's challenging us. He's trying to encourage us to understand the value of getting out of our comfort zone and beginning to experience more and more what God has for us in Christ. And so he, he kind of comes after us in certain ways. He, he doesn't want us to blame God for our kind of temptations. He doesn't want us to kind of live in this idea that God cannot be trusted, that he lives in the shadows. He says, no, he doesn't live in the shadows. He's actually in the light. And then he challenges us um, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Man, that works in every relational scenario you can possibly imagine, but especially in the Christian life. But then he gives us an image, and this is so compelling. He gives us the image of the mirror. Who can't relate to that? You're all here this morning, probably at some point you looked into a mirror or maybe a shiny piece of glass so you can see what you look like. Make sure that everything is put together correctly. And For the most part, looking at you all, it looks like you all looked in the mirror at some point today. That's a really good thing. James says the word of God is like a mirror. Every time you open the word of God, every time you're exposed to it, it's like bringing your life, your attitudes, your priorities, your passions and affections, your words, everything about who you are, your responses to trials, you're bringing it and you're putting it in front of a mirror. And so you can see what otherwise you could not see. And James says, listen, when you see those things in the mirror, don't just walk away as, and act like you have forgotten what you saw. That wouldn't make any sense. But rather, when you see those things, when actually God reveals something to you because you've brought it to the mirror of his word, be a doer of that. Actually respond in faith. Trust him that that's best. That's the best, most clear, honest perspective on that particular thing in your life. And go ahead and let God make that change. That's what he's saying. His word is like a mirror. So in all of these things, all of these things that are difficult for us to hear as he presses up against our priorities and even our prejudices, it's because we're looking into a mirror. and, And the mirror doesn't lie. God's word is true. That's why we love it. Now last week we talked about mercy triumphing over judgment. Mercy reigns. Mercy always reigns. Mercy rules, not judge. Listen, people don't need more judgmental people looking down on them because they don't act right, dress right, walk right, have the right attitude or live in the same... That's not what people need. What people need is mercy. And James is saying, if you receive mercy from God, then you need to be a conduit of mercy towards others. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad? And we're here. We're able to stand and sing and worship and study the scriptures and, and be together, one another, in this place because mercy triumphed. God looked down at us in his coming and said, I want to be merciful. I could judge you. <laughs> He's perfect, He's holy, He's righteous in all His ways. He could, he could have judged us, but rather, in his son Jesus, he was merciful to us. James is saying, look into the mirror of his word. Look at your life. Look at your attitudes. Look at the words you spoke. Look at the thoughts you have. Look at, the, look at your life. Does what, come out, what comes out of your life, is it merciful or is it judgmental? Because mercy triumphs. I'm so thankful for mercy aren't you aren't you yeah you're there I know you are okay now he goes on he's going to speak something else verse 14 James chapter 2 listen to this James says what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them And he's going to give a scenario listen to this Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. Now that's real. That's physical. If, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and, and, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, James is concerned about your faith. And his concern is that it not lay dormant. In fact, that's, that's too positive a word. He does not want your faith to die, to be dead. Now, I always go out on a limb here when I talk about medical things because my friend Mark sold us in the back, so he'll keep me honest. But I did a little research on what a coroner has to do, the checklist a coroner has to do in order to pronounce a body dead. Anybody know what the first thing that the coroner checks for? thank you <laughs> a pulse anybody know what the next thing a corner checks for i didn't know this sound of air they listen for sounds sounds means there's something happening <laughs> so no pulse no 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 airflow next Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Scholl. (laughs) I was glad I didn't have the wrong third one there. (laughs) Yeah, they want to make sure there's no possible chance that this thing is going to come back alive. Once all those three evidences are checked off, the coroner says, This person's dead. There's no pulse, no air. No possible chance it's going to move. James says, faith can be like that in your life. Not the kind of faith that saves you. (laughs) That's a different sermon. But the faith that is yours in Christ can be pronounced dead. No pulse. No air, no possible chance that it's going to ever make a move. James says it's dead. Faith without a pulse is dead. Now, this is the mirror of God's word. (laughs) We've got to look into it intently. Remember, we can't just walk away and forget we've heard this, but this is what God is saying. Faith without action, faith without some sort of pulse, without a response, is dead. It's faith, but it's dead faith. It's actually pronounced dead. Now, he's going to go on. He, first of all, let's just look at this scenario. The first one, verse 16. He says, listen, here, here's the first scenario. If someone comes to you, Uh, Verse 14 or 15, I should say, a brother or a sister and does not have clothes or daily food. That's a very real life experience. They don't have anything to wear and they don't have anything to eat. And you who have this faith actually just say to them, God bless you. That is like a pretty clear sign that we're looking at dead faith. That's what James is saying, because that faith did not compel action to say, oh, you don't have any clothes. What size do you wear? What do you need? How many are in your family? You don't have anything to eat. What, what do you need? What, what do you, are there infants? Are there children? How many in your home? What, what, how long have you been without food? What do you need? That's a faith that springs to action. There's a pulse. There's air moving. There are reflexes to needs, genuine needs. And that faith moves, and it issues in deeds. But if you just say, well, God bless you, or, or, or you know, come to church. <laughs> that, that's, that's dead faith. That's what James is saying. It seems to be. Now, if you go on, he's going to give us a couple of examples. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. That's verse 18. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my, my faith by my deeds. So there's two scenarios. You can say, well, I believe in God. How many times have you heard that? Just talking to a neighbor or a friend. Some, I, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God. I believe he's there. Well, that's, that's faith. That does, that, that's, in a sense, a, an expression of faith that I believe God. But there's also another scenario that says, listen, I believe God too, but you're going to see that faith or that confidence in God by how I live. You believe that there is one God, says James. Now this is pretty strong language. James says to these believers, you believe that there is one God? Good. 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 Now watch what he says. So do the demons. Demons believe there's one God and it makes them afraid. It makes them shudder. Now hold your kind of finger or whatever there in James 2 and I want you to go over to Luke chapter 8. This is a few pages to the left of James in the New Testament. It's Luke's gospel. Um, Luke chapter 8. I want you to see this story. It just kind of ratifies why maybe James would use this example, and it comes right out of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke is right at the beginning. Luke chapter 8. This kind of chronicles the early ministry of Jesus when he was in Galilee. He and his disciples, they're on the Sea of Galilee, the lake. They're in a boat. And Luke says in verse 26 of Luke 8, that they, Jesus and the disciples, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So they went to the other side of the lake when Jesus stepped ashore. So here he comes. Remember Advent? The word became flesh. Jesus is on the planet. He gets out of the boat, and now his feet are on the sandy shores of of the lake of Galilee. So he steps ashore, and Jesus is confronted or met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Now this is, this is real stuff. Here is the Lord creator, sovereign Lord of the universe. He's just gotten out of a boat and he's on the shore of the, sea of the lake of Galilee and he is met with a man who is possessed by a demon. That's pretty frightening stuff. Now watch what Luke says happened. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. Verse 28, shouting at the top of his voice. Now, I'm not going to shout, but you can imagine the shriek. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. This is the demon. The demon sees Jesus. And of course, because of this demon's faith, understands that this is creator God standing on the beach before him, and it causes him to shudder. He falls down and cries out for mercy. That's faith. Faith can believe that there's one God. James says it's just not enough. In fact, if it doesn't actually issue out into some sort of radical response, it's dead. Even the demons believe there's a God and that he is the one true God, says James. Now let's just look back at this letter If you, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now he's going to give an example. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now he goes back to a story. The story is Abraham Now this would have resonated with these listeners because they were Jewish Christians. So Abraham was a big deal to them. And they remember this story about how God had promised Abraham a son. And that through this son he would bless him. And he would make from him great, a great nation. And that his name would actually be made great through this son. So this is the promise ultimately of the lineage of Messiah that was given to Abraham. Through his only son, Sarah was barren. God blessed her with a child. They named him Isaac. Now the scripture says... That there was a point at which God spoke to Isaac and said, Isaac, I want you to take your only, or spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to take your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him on the altar as a sacrifice to me. Now that's what God said. Now here's Abraham. He believes that God is the one true God. And this one true God has just stepped into his life and said, I want you to take that only son of yours, Isaac, and I want you to offer him on a sacrifice. I want you to burn them on the altar. And so there's this story in Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham, he takes Isaac. He's just a, he's just a little guy. He's just a little dude. And they're walking up this mountain. And there's an animal. And Isaac's just kind of watching this. And he sees the wood. And he sees the torch with the fire. He knows what they're about to do. They're going to make a sacrifice. He's seen his dad do this over and over again. And so he says, hey, dad, I see there's wood and I see there's fire. Well, where's the sacrifice? See why James is using this story? Because he's saying to all of us, I see your faith. I I see this. I see all you're doing. I, I see what you believe in. I see the rich. I see all. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the cost? See, that's, that's the essence of faith, James' faith. It, it leads you to that kind of response. And James says Abraham believed God. He didn't believe he was the one true God. He actually believed God and he acted on that faith and it took him to the the farthest extent of the human experience. Can you imagine? It issued out in a radical response that he was willing to actually give up his own son as a sacrifice. That's living faith. A faith that is willing to kind of Go out of the comfort zone, not stay in the comfort zone, but go to the farthest reaches of that experience and radically respond to God. And he uses Abraham as an example. Now this is the mirror of God's word. So these believers were listening to that going, what, that's what, that's what real faith looks like? James says, yes, that's what it looks like. It's a radical response. That's what faith does. It moves us away from these places of comfort and security. It moves us beyond our own kind of understanding and experience to a radical response of God. Now there's a second example. James, James just does not stop. Stop. Verse 25, in the same way, just like Abraham, now he's going to use another example, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, this is a whole other story. This is Rahab. Sharp contrast to Abraham. First of all, she's a woman. Second, she's a prostitute. So for these people, they're going, wait a minute. You already made us uncomfortable telling us about Abraham. We've got to go to that extent. Rahab, really? Well, now he takes him back to another story, Joshua chapter 22. Joshua's looking at the land of promise. They've got to cross over into the wilderness, and so he sends out spies. This is the kind of the first special forces unit. <clears throat> that leaves and goes into this enemy territory. And they're there specifically to scope out Jericho. They're in Jericho because that is a fortress that Joshua needs to take in order to conquer, conquer the land of Palestine. So the spies are there. They're in Jericho. And word gets out. People in Jericho discover that Joshua has sent these spies. And so now their lives are in peril. Now somehow in the mysterious sovereign ways of God this woman rahab who makes her living as a prostitute here's a witness of God's faithfulness scriptures don't tell us how that happened but God has opened her heart and she is a, she is now a believer she belongs to God she hears of these spies She knows they're part of Joshua's plan to take the land. And she goes to them. She secretly hides them in her home in exchange that when Joshua takes the city, her family will be delivered. They agree. She helps them slip out the back and they're able to safely make their way back to Joshua. This is Rahab. James says, That's faith. That's a faith who who believed God. She trusted in him for her salvation. She heard his word. Somehow she was given a witness. She believed in God, but it led her to a radical response. It took her to the very edge of the experience in order to follow God. James says faith that doesn't do that Just like a, it's just like a dead body. There's no pulse. There's no air movement. There's no reflexes. There's no possible chance it could ever accomplish anything for good. And it's pronounced dead. Now this is pretty remarkable because these believers Probably not unlike some of us. We're thinking, my faith's not dead. It's alive. (laughs) When I was a boy, we had a little dog named Terry. A little black something or other. And this this dog I actually had come to really love and appreciate. Because we got it as a puppy and we kind of raised her and but the problem with Terry was she chased cars. You know, a car would come, we had this long driveway in this place where I grew up, and these cars would come in, they'd get lost, they thought it was a road, but it was actually our driveway, and they'd drive in, and they'd realize they were at the wrong place, they'd turn around, and Terry would, you know, go after these cars, and just, just crazy dog. And we could never break her of that. And, um, well, one day, um, this guy drove in with his pickup truck and he had a load of wood on the back and I'm not sure what he was looking for, but he was clearly in the wrong place. So he came down the long driveway and here's Terry, you know, just waiting for this guy to turn around and sure enough, he turns around and he starts back down the driveway and Terry just, she kind of lost her bearings and she ended up under his back tire. <laughs> the guy hits, hits the dog. <laughs> and I'm watching this from my bedroom window. I watch, I'm watching Terry go out Get underneath the tire and clunk, clunk. I watched this guy grow over my tire. And like, I literally opened the window and I yelled at this guy, You just killed my dog! I didn't know, but I yelled. I was so upset because I watched our little dog get run over by this guy's truck. And I'm thinking, You're an idiot! You know, and I, I mean, I'm literally yelling. I was probably 12 or something. I'm yelling at this guy because he you just killed my dog. Now, the irony of it is, now I'd be kind of like, You just killed my dog. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But back then, it was bad news. <laughs> and, uh, sorry about that. But I ran down, and by this time, someone else from my family had gotten there, and this guy got out of the truck, and I'm just going nuts, okay? And this guy, I could tell, was just feeling worse and worse, you know, listening to me go on, and we're getting down. And, and so I get down, and I'm, I'm touching this dog, and I, the adrenaline, of course, in my body was flowing, and my hands were shaking, and so I mistook, I, I mistook my reflexes, and motion, and heavy breathing, and my rapid pulse for the dogs, and I'm going, no, 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 she's alive, look, look, she's moving, and the guy's like, you know, no, kid, really, she's gone, you know, no, 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 look, she's moving, I could feel it, I could feel this vibration, but it was, it was my pulse, it was my heavy breathing, because I was so agitated, and the kid, the guy's like, no, man, I'm sorry, son, she's, she's dead, (laughs) I finally had to wrestle with the fact that, you know what, she, there was nothing. She was gone. Sometimes that's the way we are with our faith. No, 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 look. Look, I believe. I, I believe. I'm a good Christian. I'm, I believe. There's a lot going on here. And we mistake something for the, for the genuine item. And James is saying the genuine item looks like this. believes God and it it responds in radical ways Now here's something that I think is really critical in both stories both Abraham's story and Rahab's story There's a greater lesson because first of all with Abraham as Isaac asked the question where's the sacrifice Abraham in response said to his son God will provide a lamb and that's exactly what he did because when they got to the top of the mountain and they built the fire and Isaac was strapped to it and Abraham was just about ready to plunge his knife into Isaac's heart. The scripture says that the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham and said, No, now I have seen your faith. It's living. There's a pulse, there's air, there's reflex. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a lamb. So that Isaac doesn't have to die. And that's what God did. And as God substituted his own lamb for Isaac. It made a way for Messiah. Because from the lineage of Isaac comes Messiah. So do you see the connection between Abraham's living faith. His radical response. And a way for the gospel. Rahab. Somehow believes God. I really want to know how Rahab came to know God. I want to know that story right now we, we can only imagine, but somewhere there was a witness, and this this woman who had experienced only dejection and being an outcast all her living days, became a friend of God. And she participated with God, and she believed Him, and her faith went into action. She delivered her the spies, and as a result, her family was saved, her whole house. And in seeing the power of God, they came to faith in Him. Also, her radical response made a way for the gospel. That's what's at stake. That's why James is so concerned about it for you and for me, for our for our lives. Faith without works is worthless. For the gospel, it's like a dead body. It can't do anything. But faith that is compelled to act, to go to radical ends, to respond to God, now that's, that's something God can use. That can make a way, that can penetrate into the darkest, most complex, difficult places and make a way for the gospel. God has an ultimate plan to redeem the world. He is about it. We are part of that. His desire is to bring this message across the planet. But He can't do it with dead bodies. He needs a faith that is alive. A faith that will not only believe there is a one true God, but that will surrender absolute control to the one true God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's faith. This is the mirror of God's word. We stand individually and collectively this morning looking into its reflection. And James says, we have to respond. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your world this morning, but God does. He knows. That's how we started. He brought you here. He arranged things so that you could be here. But what He's given you is an opportunity to believe and to obey. I wonder if we could just kind of bow and let God speak to us. Bow our heads, close our eyes, because just maybe in the quietness He can continue to speak. Just, just reflect on your faith. Is there that kind of pulse? Is there air moving? (laughs) Is your reflex to go to the very edge in radical obedience? Just ask God to make your faith living in the power of his name. Gracious God, make it so in my life and in everyone's life here for the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.